0: Thank mm-hmm. This podcast contains uncensored profanity and topics not intended for all audiences. This episode in particular is about cordyceps, and we mention topics like mind control, death, the looming threat of global warming, and zombie apocalypses. So if you don't want to hear about that kind of stuff, this is your opportunity to turn it off and enjoy the rest of your day undisturbed. But if you do want to learn how a particularly devious fungus is controlling an army of ant zombies, then welcome right this way, off the trail and up this plant stem to a perfectly juicy leaf called Spellbound and Gagged, with me, Ellen Weatherford, and my co-host, Ashley Hamer. Last time you and I spoke together, Ashley, you started with a story. You had kind of a Victorian murder mystery, Lady on Fire. Yes. I also have a story that I would like to frame our topic for this week. I'm ready. And our story takes place in a tropical rainforest and fancy our main character is a carpenter ant would you like to name our carpenter ant oh i didn't come up with a name for our carpenter ant hero uh well heroine i suppose Uh, carpenter ant workers are sterile females oh that's right so you can come up with Mm. a name for our for our heroine if you'd like Victoria. Oh, Victoria. Okay. Victoria, the carpenter ant. She is having a lovely little ant day. She's trotting around the leaves of the forest canopy. These carpenter ants make their colonies up high in the tree leaves. So she's she's carrying around little bits of food. She's foraging. She's carrying nesting material for the colony. She's having a very productive day. She's doing great. And then little ant Victoria not like my aunt like my you know parents sister (laughs) this is just a little ant she needs to cross a gap that's a little too wide for her to climb across the leaf is a little too far away and the ant can't reach Mm. it so she has to turn around and climb down and climb all the way down the tree down to the forest floor
1: it's like when you leave your phone upstairs
0: and you just got that phone's gone. <laughs> so I hope nobody Man. needs me for the rest of the night because it ain't <laughs> happening. <laughs> exactly, the thing is gone. <laughs> it might as well not exist unless I can like bribe somebody in my family to go get it for me. Right? It's not yeah. happening. <laughs> I, I need at least three tasks to pile up for me to justify making a trip <laughs> up or downstairs. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. And so, yet, this tiny little ant is
0: doing like three times that much. Work. She is so, yeah. you know, hardwired to do what she's got to do. So she's like, I got to get across. I'm going to climb down. While on the ground, our little ant walks through, completely unaware, she walks through spores of a fungus that are floating through the air. She has no idea. She's none the wiser. The spores attach to little Victoria's body, and unbeknownst to our doomed aunt, make their way inside of her body, using enzymes. This is interesting. The the enzymes that are like produced by the spores, the fungal spores, can actually dissolve the exoskeleton, like the chitin or the, oh. like they, they can kind of drill through the, uh, what is it called? The cuticle, which is kind of like a thin mm-hmm. layer surrounding the exoskeleton. And so these enzymes just kind of seep inside and they start to creep their way towards little ant's brain. So she keeps on trucking. She is none the wiser. She's going on about her business. She even goes back to the colony and probably like keeps kicking it, you know, like she's having a wonderful little day. Meanwhile, the fungus cells silently spread around the ant's brain until they have enough population basically of fungal cells to stage a takeover the fungus begins to produce chemical compounds that actually hijack the ant's central nervous system which i'm not going to pretend to have like super in-depth knowledge of how an ant's central nervous system works (laughs) like Insect brains are, like, deceptively, like, you'd think they'd be very, very simple, but it's so, like, different from ours. I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs of how that stuff works. Right. But I think it's, like, it's it's not centralized. It's not as centralized as ours is. I think they okay. still have one kind of, like, command center, basically. But my understanding of, like, invertebrate anatomy is that they'll basically have kind of, like, nerve relays in different parts of their body. Okay. So, like, you'll have kind of, like, command center in the head, but then... Elsewhere will be, you know, other little stations basically. But so the fungus actually uses chemical compounds to hijack that central nervous system, so it takes over the brain. The ant will start to kind of twitch and convulse like she's slowly starting to lose control over her muscles and her limbs the convulsions actually cause her to fall because remember she's like trucking around up in the up in the treetops and the twitches and convulsions will actually make her dislodge herself and fall to the ground which i mean when you're a little ant, you really don't take fall damage yeah like <laughs> It's not like the sort of thing that's like, that's not going to kill the ant, right? Uh, it's not like throwing her to her doom. Um, right. Well, it is, but not in that way.
1: <laughs> it's just ruining all the work she did. She like did all this work climbing
0: and then she's right right back she's to She's like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she falls all the way to the forest floor and this is where the fungus begins to pilot the ant like a mech. Yeah. The... Fungus directs the ant to climb, weirdly, almost exactly 25 centimeters, which is about 10 inches. It's a very specific height that, like, these ants climb to consistently. It's always the same height, like, give or take maybe a couple inches. Up a short little plant in the understory, and she finds herself a good leaf. Nice juicy leaf. So once the ant is there... Another weirdly consistent element of this is that it's always at noon. What? Studies of this in Thailand showed that this consistently happens at solar noon.
1: Dude.
0: Right? Like, it's always when the sun is highest in the sky, this is when this happens. It's really weird that it's that, like, specific, but it's always at noon. The fungus commands the ant to bite the vein of the leaf so in one of the veins of the leaf the ant will bite down on the vein and then once the ant has bitten down the fungus atrophies the mandibular muscles so with an insect the mandibles are kind of their mouth parts they're what we think of as the jaws and Uh the fungus basically disables those muscles so like rips the power cord to the ant's jaws to lock them in place permanently. Whoa. <laughs> yes. So Jeez. so like like completely destroys the muscles to the point that this ant could no longer let go of the leaf if it wanted to. It is permanently, mechanically locked into place. And that is called the death grip. Because this ant will never release this grip.
1: Yeah. That's it. I'm not coming back from that. No, this is game Oof.
0: over for the ant. But Inside the ant's body, the fungus is still growing. It hasn't even reached its, this is not even its final form, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. still, it's still kind of cooking in there. So over time, this is over like the next few days to like a week or so, you'll see these little white threads of mycelia that begin to poke out of the ant's cuticle and make it look fuzzy. So with a mushroom, If you've ever seen, like, the, almost what you would think of as the root system of the mushroom underneath, that's the mycelia. Mm. Um, This, like, network of threads and things like that that are usually underground. Um, That's, you know, what what we're thinking of here. So in the ant, that is what is, like, kind of starting to sprout out of the ant's body. You'll see these little threads. And they actually begin to spread down onto the leaf and kind of, like, glue it there in place. So these spooky little white tendrils start to like grow out of the ant's body and then grip the leaf like a spider web almost like you've ever seen used in like horror movies about spiders or something like that they would usually be like a dead guy that's like in a cocoon that is like webbed up against the wall or something or like in a spider-man game <laughs> right yeah yeah totally. <laughs> when spider-man like webs somebody to a wall and sticks them there that's basically what the fungus is doing uh, to this ant amazing then a few days into the infection, um, a stalk, a very sort of iconic, distinct stalk, begins to emerge from the back of the ant's head. Oh. And this is like what most people think of when they think of this fungus, when they think they think of this like stalk that grows out of the ant's head. And then the stalk grows a bulbous, fruiting body. So the stalk looks like kind of like a long stick and then a big sort of orb at the end of it. And then usually there's like a little more stick after that, <laughs> if that makes sense. Wow. Like,
1: have you seen these? Yeah, I have. It's, uh, is that it? Like, is that when it's like, okay, I just needed to grow and I needed an ant's brain to do it, and then
0: it's just like, it lives there? Or is there more to this? The ant is basically like a car for the fungus. (laughs) Like, the fungus just needed the ant to transport it, right? Because a fungus doesn't have legs or limbs. It can't really transport itself. I mean, it can transport, you know, like the spores can get carried by the air or the wind, but the fungus really can't get itself from point A to point B. So... It's like a a drunk person in an Uber.
1: Ends up puking in the Uber.
0: Yes, it is exactly like that. If they had the technology, the ant would give the fungus zero stars as uh, an uber writer.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> be like, do not. No one would pick up <laughs> that
1: fungus ever again. Do not pick up this dude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it is, It is. I mean, the ant basically serves as an uber for the fungus to get to where it needs uh-huh. to go because that position is what it wants. It wants to be positioned that 10 inches above the forest floor. At noon. It's very specific because it needs to not be so hot. So it can't be higher than that because it's too hot. And it can't okay. be lower than that because it's too humid. Wow. And also it needs to be like a little bit elevated so that when it releases the spores, the ants will walk underneath the spore and keep the cycle going. So right. the the fungus needs that like leverage. It needs that like elevation so that it can continue to infect more ants.
1: Yeah. But if you're going to be that specific, it seems like it's going to be really hard to find a plant that's exactly 10 inches tall, right? Because you need to be on the leaf, you need to be biting the leaf. Do they look all around for like the perfect plant?
0: I mean, this is a really dense, these are typically really dense forests. Okay, so there's plenty to choose from. Yeah, and also anywhere that these ants are going to be, there's probably going to be pretty ample, you know, vegetation on the forest floor. So I'd imagine that these ants probably wouldn't find themselves anywhere where, like, vegetation would be sparse enough that it would be challenging for them to find that. And I don't know to what degree, like, the ants' familiarity with the forest floor is playing into this. I don't think it does. Like, I don't think the fungus is able to, like, take advantage of the ants' kind of, like, home turf advantage. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, ants know their way around the forest floor really well. So I don't know if maybe my, my thing, because this phenomenon is not super well understood. And right. what I do know about insect, you know, behavior and in insect brains is, is that it is so stimulus-driven, like, chemical stimulus-driven. So ants, you know, and insects in general communicate with pheromones, and ants are very much like, I have detected this chemical compound, and when I detect this chemical compound, I execute this series of actions, right? Like, it is very, it's like robotic. They're they're like programmed Mm -hmm. to perform certain actions when they perceive certain chemical stimuli. So I'm wondering if maybe the chemical stimulus that the fungus is like inducing in the ant Is making it just like want to go up a leaf, and the ant just knows how to find the leaves
1: yeah it's just like a single command like find the leaf find the 10 10 inch leaf, yeah. and the ants like I got that like you know about leaves yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah Exactly, I know the shit out of leaves
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really want to find
0: this leaf yeah I, some
1: some reason I just love I just yeah I have that urge I know exactly
0: mm-hmm. where all the best leaves are um, yeah and so so when the stalk has this like bulbous fruiting body it releases those spores into the air um, rains the spores down onto the next unsuspecting ant to walk beneath the leaves and in fact if you were to zoom out from the tragic final scene of our poor doomed Victoria, you might see that Victoria is not the only one. And there are dozens of bodies of dead ants covered in webs of mycelia hanging upside down from leaves in a graveyard. There will be these like concentrated areas where all of these ants that have been infected with this fungus will all kind of go to the same area. So you'll get this sort of, spot where within a few meters of each other you'll get dozens of ants with the same final pose.
1: Well, what I want to know, I mean, ants are pretty good at like keeping diseases and things out of the colony. What do they how do they have any recourse? Do they have any way to protect themselves? That's pretty funny because
0: yes, ants are really good at this ants are really good at countering parasites they have a really cool behavior where when ants find a dead or a sick member of their colony they pick it up and they carry Carry it out (laughs) they're like you gotta go (laughs) (laughs) and so actually this sort of relationship where the fungus controls the ant without killing it is thought to be the fungus's way of getting around that. So if the ant hasn't already died, then the other ants won't pick it up and carry it off. So the ants don't seem to be able to detect the presence of that fungus. So as long as the ant hasn't died yet, they're not going to carry it off to the graveyard. So that seems to be kind of like, the fungus's workaround like that's why it's manipulating its behavior while it's still alive specifically to get to its end goal of the ant carrying it to the very specific position it needs to be in to continue to propagate so (laughs) something funny about that is that like i mentioned like ants are so pheromone driven like they detect a chemical and they're like i know exactly what to do about this I don't know if you've ever seen, there are videos of this on YouTube and this has been studied. There is a special death pheromone that ants produce when they die. I
1: have seen this. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they like paint it on uh, uh, one of their one of their kin, and they carry them off. And the guy keeps like, "Wait, no, I'm, I'm not dead yet, you guys."
0: And they just well, keep what's going. funny about that is that I, there are videos, and this is a messed up thing to do. I mean, I don't know what to what degree this causes, I don't know if you can stress out an ant, but if you could, this <laughs> would do the trick. Y- yeah, like you said, they would you know apply this death pheromone to a living ant and not only would the you know its fellow ants pick it up and carry it off that ant would believe itself to be dead <laughs> what? Like, I must be dead so like and I watched this YouTube video of the guy that put death fare on an ant and the ant walked to the graveyard and like what? just kind of like laid down <laughs> like, I must be dead I had no idea. That's wild. It's so funny. And I read another, uh, sadly, I was just like reading this. I was off on like a weird little side tangent of this. So I did not write down what uh, study this was. But there was a study recently that showed that in addition to the death pheromone, Ants that, like, do this work of, like, lifting up and carrying the dead to the graveyard, they produce a second pheromone that is the, wait, hold on, not me, I'm not dead, I'm alive, do not pick me up pher- pheromone, that after they die, it wears off. So, Whoa. basically, they have, like, an override pheromone that's like, not yeah. me, not me, I'm, I'm alive, I am not dead. So, <laughs> basically, it is because when they pick up their dead colony mates and carry them off, that pheromone rubs off on them. Right, So sure. they get coded in the death pheromone. Wow. And so they need to have a second pheromone that's like, I, and like, I'm just holding it for a friend, basically. <laughs> 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 it's not me, don't carry me off. <laughs> Which is very funny to me that they basically, like, they're so stimulus driven, right? That like, they yeah. can't look at each other and see while well, you're moving around, you're clearly alive. Like, they don't have that much... Right logical thought process built in but this is their workaround for that right like they're having to like write if then <laughs> sequences in their code <laughs> yeah oh my gosh it was so funny as i was doing my notes for this i went down that exact thought path and i was like surely this isn't gonna come up <laughs> like, I, I stopped myself i was like we're not gonna talk oh, no. about this i'm not gonna write this down but now i'm glad that i at least read it because it's hilarious it's very funny the way that ants like i have to wonder if that causes an, like an ex- existential crisis <laughs> for the ant like am i dead yeah right what is alive oh. <laughs> exactly i mean it really does illustrate though like
1: because everybody talks about cordyceps as this mastermind fungus that is just control like what if it was controlling us what, what mm. would happen but when you think about how all you have to do is paint an ant <laughs> with a certain chemical and it thinks it's dead, like it's actually really not that hard. It what, it what it's doing is actually what the fungus is doing is not that complex, even though it really looks very complex.
0: It's funny because, yes, I'm going to get into the whole like, you know, could they infect us sort of thing because of The Last of Us. Uh, oh, we're going to talk yeah. about The Last of Us. But also, if you're going to manipulate any animal's behavior. An ant is a pretty easy target, you know. Yeah. Like you don't have to like do a lot of logical maneuvering to get around that. Especially if all they need the ant to do is like walk to a place and then yeah. you know bite down. That's all they need to get it to do. It's not, it's not like a super complicated maneuver that they have to pull off. But also. Just to zoom in a little bit on what this species of fungus is, because cordyceps is a very broad name that applies to hundreds of species of fungus. But the specific one that I told this little story about is probably the most well-known. It has a lot of references in pop culture. It is a species called Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Right. And just as a minor taxonomy note, all my homies hate taxonomy. I do not get into taxonomy weeds. This is not my life. But um, <laughs> Ophiocordyceps is technically a different genus from cordyceps, in air quotes. Um, they used to all be considered one genus, but DNA analysis revealed that they're actually distinct from each other. So Ophiocordyceps genus is the one that does the zombie mind control. The actual okay. OG cordyceps... They don't do that. They still parasitize insects and they still do like the creepy stalks growing out of their body stuff. But the zombie mind control that is specific to Ophiocordyceps.
1: Oh, so there, there's a whole bunch of cordyceps that just get inside of... Insects and grow out of them. Yeah. Don't make
0: them do anything. Yeah. This is a pretty specific behavior. But actually, like to even get more granular with it, Ophiocordyceps unilateralis isn't just a species, it is called a species complex. So there are different groups, like populations within the species that have different specializations. Cool. They specialize in specific hosts. So the one I was talking about would be a specialist in this specific type of carpenter ant, but Mm -hmm. you might get a different Ophiocordyceps unilateralis population that would not be able to infect that species of carpenter ant but would be able to infect a different type so like they're extremely specialized in like a very specific host so like i hope that that eases some anxieties that like these things are so incredibly specialized not only could they not make the jump from ant to human they couldn't even make the jump from ant to slightly different ant (laughs)
1: Like, right (laughs) No, that actually, that, that does put me way more at ease, <laughs> uh, which is funny because this, this podcast is not supposed to do that, but it, like, it makes me feel, yeah, it, uh, I totally thought that if we walked through some spores of this stuff that, you know, weird
0: stuff could happen to oh, you. Oh, you'd be fine. No, you're totally yeah. fine. All of these funguses or s- fungi are so specialized to their host. You get this with parasites a lot, right? Like a lot of times parasites will be really fine-tuned for, to a very specific host so Uh there would be no risk of them necessarily jumping because they could get on your skin and then they'd be like okay what now you know like i don't have a i don't have a chitinous exoskeleton to bore through (laughs) so like what do i do next like there would be so uh we're so different from their host that they're specialized to that they would not be able to do anything to us That being said, you would think that ants being like, you know, very short generations, high numbers, you get some pretty rapid adaptation when you have an animal like this, right? Where you have like frequent generations in huge populations, you get a lot of mutation and insects tend to be pretty adaptable, right? They can adapt to to conditions very quickly. So you would think that like if, This fungus is absolutely bodying this ant at every opportunity. They must not have been doing it for very long because the ants must have, like, be good at adapting to this. A fossilized leaf that was found in the messel pit, which... Is an ancient lake bed in Germany that is basically like a paleontological treasure trove. There are just, it's mm. just, this thing is just stuffed to the gills with fossils of every imaginable thing. Like so much vertebrate evolution has been pieced together through fossils found in this one pit in Germany. Um, That's awesome. Yes, it's a really cool place. I'd love to go there. This fossilized leaf that they found in the Messel pit has. The distinct markings. It's a dumbbell shaped marking that is left behind by the jaws of a carpenter ant clamping down on the vein in the death grip. And how old is this thing? 48 million years! (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible! 48 million years ago, this fungus was doing, was playing the exact same game. (sighs) Ah! so like this thing has been a menace <laughs> the <Yeah>. whole time
1: <laughs> the ants never got together and we're like we got to do something about this they're guy. like you guys like, come on we got to get our shit
0: together this is ridiculous yeah. this is embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> it is frankly it is embarrassing we need dub you guys this is ridiculous 48 million <laughs> years haven't figured this dude out that's why like you know yes Ants are spectacular, genius engineers. They can pull off some of the most incredible, complicated tasks like unparalleled, you know, engineers. They can build colonies that have air conditioning and agriculture and like specialization, very complicated behavior. But they're also so stupid like <laughs> at, like at the individual level each one yeah. completely yeah. devoid of thought so they they're like only smart as like a a collective unit so uh, that, that's really a reminder of that, right? Because like, because basically what's happening is like one ant at a time is kind of getting picked off here and there. Yeah, it's not doing yeah. like massive amounts of damage. It's maybe like you you can afford to lose a couple ants here and there. It's no big deal. Yeah. So it it just seems like it's it's not exerting enough pressure on the ants that they're like ants. Yeah, fine. Let them have a few. It's fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: It reminds me of like the Office Space grift that they do where yeah shave a little a few cents off (laughs) of every paycheck yeah
0: the fungus is like if we only take one yeah then they won't notice notice. and they won't evolve (laughs) to counter us hilarious i love that for them they're doing great they're killing the game absolutely their their kdr is astronomical they're doing amazing so cordyceps has been in the news. I'm just going to keep like shortening it to cordyceps because you know what I mean. Yeah. Like everybody just says cordyceps when they're talking about it. I've already explained the taxonomy so you can cut me some slack. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's been talking about cordyceps because of The Last of Us. And you have at least watched one episode because I coerce you I into doing it. I watched one episode.
1: I'm aware of the, the concept. I'm aware of what's what's happening on on that episode you do get to see at least a a couple of zombies so yeah it is
0: a zombie light episode yeah the the one that you watched is is zombie light but if you're gonna watch one episode it's got to be the third episode that's that's the one you can watch
1: yeah it was fantastic yeah
0: amazing and it works like on its own like you don't have to watch the rest of the series to watch the third episode but in the whole series i feel like when this episode comes out This should be after the last episode of the season has already come out. So I feel like it's been long enough. I can spoil some of just the exposition, like the concept. Also the video game that the entire show is heavily based on came out 10 years ago. So like, I feel like you probably have picked up on the story by now. So in The Last of Us, in both the video game and the TV series adaptation uh, the species, specifically this, like, Ophiocordyceps species, has mutated in a way that enables it to infect human hosts. So the way it works in the game and the TV series are a little bit different from each other. In the video game, so I should say the video game's spooky and I haven't played it. It's too spooky for me, but... That's fair, I, yeah. But I did consult an expert... And that is my husband who has played the game. (laughs) And in the video game, it spreads a lot more like how the real cordyceps does. It spreads through clouds of spores. In the video game, as you're exploring the world, you will come across these like clouds of spores that will usually be glowing in a very obvious way to let you know not to like go there, I guess which that, that much more closely mimics the real-life cordyceps. In the TV show, they went in a different direction. They focused more on tendrils. So there are mm. these kind of, like, goopy, wet spaghetti-looking <laughs> like tendrils that kind of, like, lie just beneath the skin of the human host, uh, which, I mean, visually it does resemble, like, the stalks that grow out of the cordyceps' victims. Um, sure. they also go in a more sort of like network, like, like hive mind direction with it, where like all the tendrils connect and like make this big like hive mind, which is similar to different fungus. Like you can get different like fungus species where you'll have one organism that's like what miles wide because it's like a right. Yeah. The, I think the world's largest organism, it, like arguably, is a fungus
1: because it, it does that.
0: Yeah, it'll be like a massive underground network that all connects together. So like what you might look at a tree and see like a couple of little mushrooms and you might think, oh, that's just a little mushroom, but you wouldn't know that it's actually connected to like miles and miles and miles of one organism. So they kind of do that a little bit in the TV show. Also, my my whole world changed when I learned that that little mushroom that you see is
1: like, basically, a fungus dick. Like, it's just... <laughs> it's, the, it's the
0: reproductive organ. It's the it's the pretty part, you know? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. This is what we want to... That's the part you really want to, like, put your best foot forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Show it off to the mm-hmm. world. That's the important part. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, it, it doesn't look unlike... I don't know. <laughs> it does not. It does not.
1: <laughs> it's also the part we eat. It's just all
0: all so lovely. We're so weird about, like, other things, genitalia. Like, with, like, mushrooms, we, like, eat their genitalia. With flowers, Mm -hmm. we, like, display their genitalia. Uh, Right. (laughs) Like, we're so, like, unfazed, I guess, by... For being... For how prudish we tend to be about our own genitalia. Right. We're totally cool with, like, plant and fungus genitalia. We're like, yeah, gimme. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Right. Um... (laughs) So uh, the weird thing about the cordyceps in The Last of Us is that it causes its hosts to turn aggressive towards what are called conspecifics. So like members of their own species, they become aggressive towards each other. And that's not how like real world cordyceps works because they don't have any interest in that, right? Like there's no need for them to, for like an, a carpenter ant to turn aggressive and like attack the other carpenter ants. There's just, they don't need that, right? It doesn't help. So a weird thing about The Last of Us, the Cordyceps, which like, I totally understand, it's supposed to be spooky zombie action thriller, you know, you need some element of danger, and it needs to be scary. So they need the zo- for it to be like a proper zombie, the zombies have to be like aggressive and chasing you down. So like, The Last of Us Cordyceps, both reproduces and like infects a person by like the spores of the tendrils, but also by like biting other humans, which is weird okay. that they have two different like modes of reproduction. Cause yeah. why would you need both? You only, you really only need one. I don't know. That's my own personal little woo actually. Um, <laughs> it's my, my little Neil deGrasse Tyson moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, the, the co- sort of question posed by the concept of the game and the show is that these funguses are changing over time and that they could hypothetically in our sort of science science fiction universe become a threat to humans. There's a reason why in general most funguses don't infect mammalian bodies and it has to do with our body temperature. Okay. So the reason that mammal body temperatures all tend to be within a few degrees of a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Like you know, human body temperature tends to be around ninety eight. Um, the hottest they really get is like one o four maybe. Mm-hmm. That's really the upper range of like mammalian body temperatures. And the lowest you get is the opossum, which is which can be as low as like ninety four. But it's a very very narrow range of like constant body temperatures, think about the entire mammal kingdom, right? Like that's a pretty narrow range. That evolved very specifically to counter fungus that is too hot for a fungus to survive so the idea is that mammal body temperatures evolved specifically to be too high to get infected with funguses but not so hot that it damages the cells right if you get too hot the cells break apart and die so they just had to get in this little goldilocks zone of your body being too hot to get attacked by fungus but not hot enough to cook yourself alive basically Amazing. There's a really cool episode of Radiolab about this. Uh, It's called Fungus Among Us. I heard that one. yeah, But it's been years and it must have just left me. Yeah, it's an older episode, but I I thought about it again as I was doing this. And actually, this is kind of where the ever-looming threat of global warming comes in. There is a growing concern that as average global temperatures slowly climb, it is giving fungi the opportunity to adapt to warmer and warmer conditions. So while they might be used to typical conditions that are a little bit colder, if the sort of ambient temperature of the whole world is very slowly climbing, you know, you take one fungus and you suddenly put it in 105 degrees Fahrenheit, it's going to be like eh, too hot and it's going to die. But if you just slowly turn it up by like a fraction of a degree every year then eventually over the generations you're going to get fungi that are better adapted to warmer and warmer conditions and over time this could result in a rise of funguses becoming able to infect the human body so this may have already started to happen (laughs) oh my god This may have already started to happen. There is a fungus species that is called Candida auris. It used to be very obscure. Like, it wasn't even scientifically documented until, like, 2009. Like, wasn't even given an official name until then. Not really well known. It wasn't a big deal until it started suddenly causing human infection outbreaks in 2011. So 2011, huh. you start seeing outbreaks of people infected with this fungus internally. You know, like you can get a fungal infection, like a candida, like that's like yeast infection, right? Right. You can get yeah. a yeast infection of the candida fungus outside of your body, and that's fine. But to be inside of your body is really weird. I mean, even when it's, you know, up in your vulva, right, that's still technically not inside of your body. So to get, you know, a fungal infection actually like inter like in your blood. That's very, very weird. Um, And not only did it start to cause infections, but it actually, like, spread really fast. So over the years, you start to see outbreaks in different countries, on different continents. There have been, like, transmissions of this fungus documented in the United States. Like, not just like, oh, we found a case of it. It was like a case of it that then started to, like, transmit within the country. Terrifying. Yes, there is a CDC report on it. Um it's called On the Origins of a Species, What Might Explain the Rise of Candida Auris, and that is by Brendan R. Jackson et al. in the Journal of Fungi on in July of twenty nineteen. So not cordyceps, but <laughs> Yeah. But funguses are a thing we need to think about, you know? Like, that is a very real possible side effect of global warming, like, specifically posing a threat to the human body, right? Like, yeah. I think a lot of times people don't think about the effects that, like, a slightly warmer temperature can have on the global ecosystem. But that's a very real thing we, we very well could need to start thinking about soon, is actually, like... What do we do about funguses inside of our bodies now
1: dang and on top of like the antibiotic resistance thing that's happening and like
0: yeah that's just one more thing right like yeah
1: (laughs) just all these things that that we we used to be like no 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 that that'll never that'll never kill us surely this will
0: never be a big deal
1: (laughs) yeah yikes it also makes me think of uh, white nose syndrome in bats. What's that? That's a thing that it's actually killing lots and lots and lots of bats, mm. but they they get this powdery white fungus on their noses and it keeps, I believe it keeps them from being able to eat much. Oh. And so they just kind of wither away and die and it's it just infects entire colonies. Um, and actually this is, there's another piece of fiction that uses cordyceps infection in humans as a way that people become zombies um it's called wayward shoot
0: you know it's funny i came across a book in my notes that that actually came out like the year after the last of us that also used cordyceps zombies i didn't make a note of the title but this is a thing that i think has been covered in pop culture kind of extensively (laughs) because of how terrifying it is yeah i mean it's just it's such a
1: cool idea right wanderers by chuck chuck wendig wanderers. um i read this right before the pandemic hit and it was oh, great so eerily similar <laughs> so much like the, the one of the main characters is from the cdc and mm. and it's like it basically it cordyceps it was like the cause of white nose syndrome or something mm. in bats and then that jumped from bats to humans and then this cordyceps was kind of like eating people's brains and making them lash out and making them do weird you know like terrifying things, and and then eventually just dying and being covered in this, it, just like you explained, like this um, kind of mycelium, mm,
0: that fluff, yeah,
1: whiteness all over. It's a it's a great book.
0: When you said that about the the fungal infection of bats, that jogged my memory of the chytrid fungus that is attacking frogs. Yes. So I know this is a huge thing, especially in Australia, but it is causing like mass extinctions of frog species. Like it's a, it is a fungus that is infecting frogs and killing them. And, you know, global warming is only making, making things a little easier for funguses by giving them time to build up that heat resistance. Because, you know, our ability to tolerate heat and our ability to like maintain heat within our bodies has kind of been our primary defense against funguses and if we lose that then not not that we would lose our ability to maintain heat but the fact that like that would no longer defend us from the funguses would be really bad news for us because that's not something we would we've really had to think about although you know over time we've definitely had such significant advances in medical technology you know that we have a lot of treatments that we can use We, we got a lot more tools in our belt now right than we did when mammals were first evolving. Um right. so we at least have sort of technology and our intelligence on our side, but on top of everything else we're already dealing with. It, we don't need one more sort of log on the fire <laughs> of human <Right>. extinction. <laughs> I love post-apocalyptic fiction. Same. That is same. my shit. I love it so much. Yeah. I lo- Okay, so I loved the Fallout series, which I think I mentioned when we were doing our, our episode on on nuclear waste. Horizon Zero Dawn, which was also post-apocalyptic. And so the influx of specifically pathogen apocalypse media that came out around like the start of like 2020 and stuff like that, uh-huh. I was just eating it up. I was just yeah. like, get at all of it, which you'd think would be counterintuitive, right? You'd think like, Why would you want to consume media that is so directly paralleling all of the anxieties and, like, everything that you hate about the world right now? Like, why would you? Very close to home. I know, but there was just something so, like, meditative. Like, Sweet Tooth. Yeah. Sweet Tooth hit just right. That was a great one. I love Sweet Tooth. (laughs) (laughs) But I love, like, post-apocalyptic stuff, so I'm a big fan of... I had never gotten into The Last of Us when it was a game because I'm a huge pussy and I can't read. Like I can't play scary Same. games. No. I can't do it. I don't know how much you know about like the video game. I don't. I don't know much about it. It's very no. beloved. And from what I hear, the TV series adaptation is very faithful.
1: That's good. Yeah. I have seen a lot of people talking about that, which... Makes my eyes glaze over because I don't know much about. Right, you like, game I, already, why would I care about this? And I'm not watching this <laughs> show, but but yeah, no, I I love. Uh, I also love post apocalyptic uh, media, and I I think it comes back to when I was a kid, I would have this fantasy of being locked up in a mall at night. So I could just go and do whatever I wanted in the mall. Oh my god! And that's that's what like the apocalypse kind of feels like. You like, need oh, to you continue
0: just, watching The Last you could of just Us. Get all this stuff. Oh yeah. That is okay. So specific. <laughs> you specifically need to keep watching The Last all of right, Us. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, like I think it. I think a lot of it like plays into this almost like a, a fantasy of, like, societal collapse and, like, what would you do with, like, the 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 burdens of societal collapse lifted and... Yeah. And uh, I feel like if there was ever a zombie apocalypse, I would make sure I did not survive through that. I would tap out instantly. I would really? fold, like, a lawn chair. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> fuck this! Yeah. <laughs> absolutely not where are my chill lo-fi hip-hop beats to study and relax to i can't i can't stream that little anime girl on youtube yeah. absolutely not <laughs> hell no goodbye <laughs> I'm thankful for uh, The Last of Us bringing Cordyceps back into the forefront of the public mind. It's not an incredibly, you know, biologically consistent depiction of Cordyceps, but who cares? It's sci-fi. Have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's something that, you know,
1: the average person knows what the word mycelium means. Right. That's... That's a win.
0: A win is a win for science communication. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah, that's cordyceps. This is one of the things that actually I had on my sort of like – very brief short list of like topics that i wanted to talk about on this podcast that was like in my in my sort of first draft of like five ideas uh was on there so when when they got it on the tv i was like oh thank you i'll be taking that actually perfect and they got pedro pascal in it yeah (laughs) don't mind if i do (laughs) <laughs> the thirst trap of the moment okay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well that's cordyceps da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> cordyceps
0: <laughs> thank you for listening i will be back in two weeks with an episode about super volcanoes with special guest megan ankney Follow us on social media to keep up with the show as it grows, or let us know what you thought and leave a good review if you liked what you heard today. Our theme music is Snake Oil by Doug Organ, and if you made it this far, here is a palate cleanser. In 1986, the student body of the University of California, Santa Cruz, voted to officially name as their school mascot the humble banana slug. Until next time, this has been Spellbound and Gagged with Ellen Weatherford and Ashley Hamer. Oh,